Well, go ahead and take a seat. Man, it's great having you guys here today. Thank you so much for uh, making this a priority on, on your Sunday and throughout your week, man, to be able to gather together, worship together, pray and open God's word together. Say it often, man, that's just important as we continue to take next steps in following Jesus. Man, we're glad you're here. Uh, before we jump in to our series, we've been going through Psalms this entire summer, uh, something significant happens tomorrow morning starting around 8 a.m. Starting in the morning, there's going to be about 200 elementary age kids that are going to come from all over this area and converge onto this location. Starting around 8, they're going to be here till 4 o'clock, and they're going to do that again on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, and then on Friday. Um, we have the privilege to be able to partner with Woodlands Christian Camp. They do an event called Freestyle that is this entire week, and we are thrilled to be able to have our kids and our community be able to come out to hear the gospel of Jesus and to see what it looks like to live a life for Him. So with that being said, we're going to spend some time praying before we jump in, because like I said, we've got about 200 kids that are going to be here starting tomorrow. We've got a crew of Woodlands staffers and counselors that are here this morning. They're going to be getting ready, and uh, they're all rested up from their, like, one day off. Yeah. yeah, that's what I like to hear, and they're going to be ready to go at it tomorrow morning. So we're going to be praying for you guys. We're going to pray for some of the staff and the volunteers that are going to be here, uh, because, my goodness, uh, it's great that we have a facility that can house uh, not just you. No offense, I don't really care about the folks in here. Um, I'm excited because we get to house 200 kids in that space over there and throughout this entire facility this week. So, um, hey, would you guys do me a favor? Would you stand up so we can be praying for you as Woodlands counselors so you've got some faces and names that we can be praying for? God, thank you so much for what you are already planning on doing this week through this team, through conversations, through conversations with these kids God, we pray for those kids that are going to be showing up tomorrow. Pray that you would begin to stir in their hearts right now the desire to know you and to know you more. God, I pray you soften the hearts of their moms and dads and grandparents and grandparents. Pray that their whole family becomes impacted by the good news that these kids are going to hear this week. God, would you watch over the staff and, and these counselors this week? Would you give them health? Would you give them rest? Would you give them energy? But above all, give them eyes to see how to best minister to and disciple and care for these kids this week. God, we are so excited to see what you are going to do, and we praise you in advance for the lives that will be forever changed because of the work you are doing through your spirit this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. Love having you here, praying for you guys this week. So I think we all have at least one of these. Some of you overachievers might have more than one. Uh, we all have a hobby. We all have something we are interested in. We all have something that intrigues us. For some of you, and in fact, I've got several friends that this is their thing, right? They love to cook. More specifically, they love to do the green egg type barbecue cooking. They love to spend 37 hours cooking one meal. Not my thing, but they love it. And they get into all the details of it and they love learning about it and they follow all kinds of different people on Instagram trying to figure out all the new ways to grill something. Some of you, health is your thing. You love to figure out all the new like health kicks and the new trends and oh, I can do this and this is how I can uh, like run longer than anybody ever should run. But if I do this, then I'm able to do that. You love getting into the health and, and how that works within your body. Some of you, it's music. And you just love music, whether you play or just appreciate it. You love learning new things about new music. You love digging in and discovering new ways to, to allow music to be something beautiful. For some, it's art. I mean, there's all kinds of different things 
That is our thing. So for me, I kind of probably bounce around. I get with one thing and then it kind of gets old and then I'll find me another thing. So my most recent thing is a little over six months old. It started on Christmas Day. I was given a Christmas present this last year and I'm just telling you, this is probably the best Christmas gift I have ever been given in my entire life. I've heard about this thing before. I was a little skeptical. A lot of people love it. A lot of people are talking about it. I was like, I don't know. It just doesn't, it seems too good to be true. But then I get this thing on Christmas and I'm telling you, it was incredible. It has changed my life. This last Christmas, I got an air fryer for Christmas. (laughs) Come on, that's an amen moment right there. How many of y'all have an air fryer and use it religiously? Like this thing is awesome. The first thing we made were pizza rolls because that's like a safe starter. Let me get some pizza rolls. We make it because everybody knows you use the oven. You don't use the microwave. How dare you use the microwave with pizza rolls? It's not how it works. But will the air fryer be just as good? I was skeptical. We put those things in the air fryer and in a fraction of the time, they were better than the oven. I couldn't believe it. My kids were going nuts. We had a party at our house. This air fryer was better than even advertised. So since then, I've been Googling all the things you can air fry. We have tried to air fry just about everything you could even think of. Some things you shouldn't air fry, by the way. Uh, We've learned that. But we've tried to air fry just about everything. So I've spent time learning not just like how it works, but learning like what to do and how to cook different things and what to try in the air fryer. Like it has been amazing. I bring that up because we've been talking through Psalms and studying Psalms and every single Psalm, Psalm 1 all the way through 150, the response is always the same. Worship. Every single Psalm, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter the author, the psalmist, no matter what they were experiencing in life, their response throughout all of Psalms, its entirety is worship. So through our study this summer, we've seen that. We've seen what worship begins to look like. We're building this picture of worship where it looks like singing. It looks like hands raised. It looks like shouts for joy and victory. It looks like remembering and thinking back on the goodness of God. But there's an aspect of worship we tend to overlook. It's the idea of learning. All right, so with my air fryer, not that you should worship an air fryer, I'm just saying, Although I did try to take the air fryer on vacation with us a few weeks ago, and Becky said, that's a hard no. I'm like, are you kidding me? She's like, we don't have room. I'm like, well, leave a kid at home. The air fryer's going. Not negotiable. But so no, you should not worship an air fryer. But the things that we are most interested in, the things that we are most desiring, don't we spend time learning about those things? Right? It takes up actually a lot, quite a bit of time. We want to gain more understanding. We want to gain more knowledge. I want to research. I want to learn. I want to know. I want to lean in. I want to dig in a little bit deeper to the things that I love, to the things that interest me, to the things that I desire. So when it comes to our worship, it should not be a surprise that learning is a huge piece of our worship. We said last week when we looked at one of the, David, one of the Psalms of David, he made this statement. And he said, God, your unfailing love, do you remember, is better than life itself. And if we believe that, that God's love, that he is better than life itself, then wouldn't it make sense that an aspect of our worship would be learning, knowing more about him, digging in deeper to who he is, what he has done, what he promises, and who he is in our own lives. 
So may our worship not just be singing on a Sunday, but may our worship also be filled with learning. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 78. The entire psalm is basically that. We're going to see that we worship through learning. Before we dive into Psalm 78, let's do a little recap. There's three questions we always want to ask when we're studying Psalms. The reason being is because these questions help us not just read it and get through it. These questions help us sit in the Psalms, helps us reflect and meditate on the Psalms. So here they are. These are great. If you don't have a journal, uh, we handed out journals for our series in Psalms this summer. Grab you a journal. If you don't have one, they're out by the Bibles. Grab you a Bible, grab you a journal. And these are great questions to write down. So as we go through Psalm 78 today, what will you praise God for? There's a lot of history in Psalm 78. What will you thank God for? What will you praise him for? Second question is what truth is being taught? We're going to talk a lot about that one today. Psalm 78, again, is all about worshiping through learning. So what truth is being taught? Great to write down. And then lastly, what do you need to ask God? This is not always a God give me, maybe. But the idea with that question is you can't read a psalm and sit in it and not begin some dialogue and conversation with God. As you study the Psalms, as you dig in a little bit deeper to each of the Psalms, it should impact how you relate to and talk with God. It should impact your prayer life. So that's the point of that question. What do you need to ask God? What do you need to talk to God about? If you want to continue this study outside of Sundays, we've been doing this all summer. We'll send you a Psalm a day, Monday through Friday. You'll get it in the morning. Just text Psalms to 77411. We'll opt you in and we will just send you a song. It's easy. You, cl you click the link, helps you uh, directs you right there to the Bible app, and then you can go through some of those questions on your own because we don't just want to study Psalms on Sunday. We want this to continue. So Monday through Friday, would you sit with God and study the Psalms, begin to dig through those three questions. But for today, like I said, Psalm 78, start in verse one, keeping those three questions in mind as we go through them. Verse one, oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you, there's the learning part. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. So here the psalmist, he's starting out by trying to get everybody's attention. I used to do student ministry for almost a decade. And, and anytime, I, especially when it comes to like junior high or middle schoolers, I would have to do this. I would teach for about three minutes and I'd say, okay, eyes on me. And I teach for now another like two or three minutes. And I, all right, hang on. Focus, eyes on me. And then we'll keep going, right? That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's saying, pay attention. Listen to my instructions. Open your ears. Because I don't want you to miss what we are going to learn. I'm going to teach you something. And I need you to pay attention. Now, these lessons are not just a list of commands here. The lessons are coming from the stories of old. We would call them Bible stories. He says, listen to me, listen to the instructions. You're going to learn something here. You're going to learn from our past, the stories we have heard and known, stories that our ancestors have handed down to us. Like that's why these stories are so helpful. They're so impactful. They're so meaningful. They're not just cool stories. No, these are truths that are being taught. These are truths that we need to pay attention to. In fact, Paul talks about this idea in Romans chapter 15. He's also pointing to the importance of learning from the stories in Scripture. 
Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul writes to the early church of Rome. He says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to what? Say it with me. To teach us. That's why they were written, so that they could teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promise to be fulfilled. So as we're waiting for God to continue to move, we continue to look back on the stories. We look back on the Bible stories to learn those truths. Here's a question I think would be helpful to ask, not just today, but anytime you're doing Bible study, anytime you're moving forward in your faith. God, what truth do I need to learn or be reminded of? God, in my current situation, what truth do I need to learn or be reminded of? God, as I step into this situation, what truth do I need to learn or be reminded of? God, as I navigate life's difficulties with this group of people or this individual, God, what truth do I need to learn or be reminded of? Because there is so much truth given to us already. Through the stories of old, from ancestors that have been passed down, we can look to God's word to show us the truth, to teach us God's word. So what truth do I need to know? What truth, truth do I need to learn? Or what do I need to be reminded of? Here's how I do this personally. Take it or leave it. Maybe this is helpful for you. Maybe it's just helpful for me. But when I pray that prayer personally, God, what truth do I need to learn? What truth do you want to remind me of? I have kind of three lists that I go through. The first one is people of the Bible. Here's a few. Obviously, this is not all of them. That's as many as I can get on the screen and you can sort of see it. So the idea is, God, what truth do I need to learn or be reminded of through those people in the Bible? So God, like, what do I need to know about Hannah? Oh, if you don't know the story of Hannah, what a wonderful prayer ends up ending in like such great sacrifice. God, what truth do I need to learn from her? What about Elisha? What do I need to learn? The, what truths do I need to learn after reading through Elisha's life and how he had to do some difficult things, but how he stayed true to the word of God? Oh, what about Philip? What about Philip, a follower of Jesus that was following the spirit wherever the spirit would lead? What truth do I need to learn or be reminded of from the people in scripture? I mean, this is easy for you to do. I mean, you can even just Google people in the Bible and you can begin to just go through that list. God, who do I need to learn from? Ah, that, I think that one might be it. Or I don't know a whole lot about that person. Let me dig in and see what truth God wants to teach me and remind me. That's my first list I go through. Second list I go through are the stories of the Bible, right? Just a good Bible stories. Now, whether you grew up in the church or whether you had a family that, that taught you Bible stories or not, again, simple Google search or email me. I'll send you all the stories that, that I kind of pray through. That first one there, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, one of my favorite Bible stories. Because my dad, growing up as a kid, that was his favorite Bible story to tell us kids. Beautiful story. But here's what's interesting. I look back on that and I remember how my dad kind of paraphrased it and how he would storytell it. And it was super funny if you know the story. But I find myself holding on to the truth of that story still today as an adult. What other stories? Joshua walking around Jericho. God, this doesn't make sense what you're asking me to do, but I'm going to have faith and I'm going to trust you. Abigail saves the day. She's a peacemaker. God, how do I deal with difficult people? Jesus' parables. What do you want to teach me through what's in front of me? I mean, there's so many Bible stories that we could focus on. God, which one do you want to teach me out of? Which one do you want to remind me of the truth based on that story? Third list that I go through, and this one's really easy, especially if you have a Bible like, like this, you go to the front of your Bible and you look at the table of contents and you go through the books of the Bible. God, which book do you want me to study right now because of the truths focused on it? 
is what's super helpful. Uh, there's a group of people that actually took every book of the Bible, and they did their best. I mean, it's not perfect, but they've summed up each book of the Bible with basically one word. So, for example, Genesis, we see that God is the God of promise. Throughout Job, if you know the story of Job, he deals with so many different difficulties, and we see throughout the book of Job, we see that God is the God of pain. Habakkuk. How many of you have done an in-depth dive into Habakkuk? It's a great, great book. If you're struggling, because in Habakkuk, you kind of have this conversation with, where it goes to God and says, God, I don't like what you're doing. And God says, well, you're not God. He says, well, yeah, but like if I were God, I think this is what you should do. And God says, I've said it again. Like, you're not God. Trust me. So if you struggle and you're wrestling with God, Habakkuk would be a great book for you to study. Do you find that you're, you're struggling and you just need to be able to keep moving forward? Read 2 Timothy. Do you need to know what true love is, not how our world would define love, but what true love is? Read 1 John. So if you want that list, again, I can't get them all on there. I'll send you the website. I'll try to remember to stick it on social media later. Email me and I'll be happy to send you them. But God, what truth do you want me to learn or be reminded of? Allow the word of God to show you the truth that God wants you to see and know and take to heart. All right, verse four. So that was the focus on us. God, what truth do I need to learn from scripture? Verse four, the psalmist kind of turns it outward. Verse four, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty works. So we learn the truths for ourselves. God, what truth do you want me to learn? What truth do you want to remind me of? But now I'm responsible for turning that outward and now telling the next generation of this truth. It's not just for me to hold on to. It's not just for you to hold on to. We point it back and what truth do they need? That would be the question, right? We start with what truth do I need to learn or be reminded of? This question is what truth do they need to learn? What truth do they need to know? What truth do they need to be reminded of? Speaking of the next generation. It cannot end with us. It cannot stop with us. Psalmist uses even pretty strong language. We will not hide these truths from our children. Now, please hear this. Whether you're a parent or not, this is not written just for parents. We're going to see this later. We all have a responsibility to tell the next generation about the good news of Jesus, right? About the truths of God. But parents, that most certainly is your responsibility as well. And that strong language of we will not hide, oftentimes we think of hiding literally as concealing, intentional concealment. So if we read that verse, we probably think of just the people that are trying to intentionally hide the word of God. No, 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 I don't want you to know the truths of God. Most likely that's nobody in this room, right? So we feel like, oh, I'm off the hook. No, I'm not gonna hide God's word from anybody. I'm not gonna hide God's truth. Well, there's another kind of a meaning to this as well. One that's a little bit more subtle, one that's not intentional, and I've found myself in this category multiple times, especially with my own kids. The idea of hiding comes out in different ways. So let me give you an example. I'm going to kind of talk through um, different age groups of kids. So parents, you might understand and relate to this. If you're not a parent, you don't have kids these ages, it's still going to relate to you because A, or one, your kids are eventually going to get to those ages, or you're going to have to interact with kids at some point. Just being in community, you're going to have to interact with kids. So let's talk about like the itty-bitties. Let's talk about like toddlers or like preschoolers, right? They are wonderfully curious. They ask incredible questions. And what's funny is they don't mean for this to be the case. Their questions are highly complicated and complex. So when my oldest, he's now almost 11, but when he was like a preschooler, he said, Dad, how do we get to heaven? You think that's a pretty simple answer. Right? And so, of course, but he's a preschooler, and I'm like, I don't want to, like, 
I mean, that's a big theological discussion. We're going to have to talk about like atonement and sin and like all this stuff. So I tried to narrow it down and I said, well, we get to heaven with Jesus. Not a bad answer. Not completely theologically correct, but not bad. You know what his next statement was? Oh, so then Jesus must put on rocket boots so when we die, he flies us up to heaven. I'm, I'll admit this. So you know what my first response was in my head? Just say yes. <laughs> I'm going to raise a child that thinks we get to heaven by holding on to Jesus as he straps on rocket boots. I was like, man, I can't let him think that. And man, I definitely can't be a pastor after saying that. So I'm like, all right, so let's talk through that a little bit more. My first answer was not good enough to his complex question. And if we're not careful, we will hide the truth of God when we shy away from the complexities of God. Let that preschooler begin to understand at the age of three, four, five, God's big. I'm gonna ask a lot of questions and I'm not gonna understand them all. Instead of trying to dumb things down so that a preschooler can understand it. We hide the truths of God when we unintentionally shy away from the complexities of God. Let those kids see how big God is. Let them see you as an adult wrestling with the complexities of God and tell them questions are great. That's a big question. I'll do my best to explain it, but it's hard to understand. But keep asking. Let's talk about elementary age kids. They ask a lot of questions, but their questions begin to change. You know what their questions are all about? Why? Why? I've got three of these in my house right now. Why? 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 And, and it's, it doesn't even have to be like deep theological questions. What are we having for dinner? Hamburgers? Why? I'm like, oh my goodness, can you just say okay? It's a lot of whys. And here's what is my tendency as a dad. I'll admit this. You've been there too. You get so many why questions. We finally get to a point where we want to just shout out, because I said so. It's easier to say that. And man, it makes me feel so much better. But it doesn't solve anything. So when we talk about spiritual truths of God, when kids start asking questions, if we unintentionally start saying, well, because God said so, what is that actually teaching them? See, we can hide the truths of God when we don't actively pursue the truth. In other words, by saying, that's a great question. Let's dig in and see if we can find an answer to all of your 3,700 whys. They're all in here. Let's discover together. I was talking about Woodlands Freestyle this week. One of my personal favorite parts, they do something every day towards the end of the day called hard questions. Hard questions, it's great. It, it's their way of helping kids ask questions and get used to asking questions and for them to pursue the truth. And so I get to do this periodically and I walk up there with a microphone and a Bible and then like 200 kids that all are waiting for a why question. So from last year, you know some of the questions I got? One of them right out of the gate. Why did God let my grandmother pass away? You can't just say, well, you know, like bad things happen. That doesn't work, does it? We need to talk about the truths of God and pursue together. We've also gotten, well, if Satan is bad, why did God create Satan? Another really good question. That one's interesting because it's usually followed up, followed, up, followed up by another kid asking a similar question, but with like an animal. It's like, why did God then create mosquitoes? And then why did God create bees? And then why did God create, and like they, we just lump them all together and I'll just do that as one question. If God wants us to know us, why does he stay invisible? Like, those are good questions. And instead of just saying, well, that's just how God works, and that's just what God says, and that's just how it is, 
What if we say, man, that's such a good question. Let's try to find out the answer together. And we begin to teach these elementary kids to find truth in God's word. What age comes next? Teenagers. I'm not going to just gloss over them. I love teens. Like I said, I did student ministry for almost a decade before moving here. And at some point, a parent came to me and they would say this statement or they would use this phrasing, not always the exact same, but it was something to the extent of, well, I don't want to force God on my kids, right? There would be a frustration on how they're trying to like navigate their family and parent their teenager. And it would come to a head and they weren't sure what to do. So then I would get the phone call or the meeting and that's where it would end up. Well, I just don't know what else to do because I don't want to force God on my kids. And you need to know this about me. I have grown in maturity a lot since my student ministry days. I, I like to, well, at least I think I'm a lot more mature. You think I'm immature? You should see me back then. And so please hear this. I'm going to tell you what I used to say, and I've grown a little bit from there. I would look at that mom or that dad, and I'd say, why not? Do you force your kid to eat? Uh, yeah. Do you force them to go to school every day, Monday through Friday? Uh, yeah. So you're telling me you force food and education on your child? Why not God, the most important thing in their life? Why not faith? I mean, you make them go to the dentist? Why don't you make them go to church? Now, like I said, that was a little rough and harsh, and I recognize that. But here's the intent, though. And no, it's not intended to be cruel and harsh. I, um, please hear my heart on this. But it should be valued. It should be important. And our teenagers should see that and feel that. Yes, teenagers are in a great spot where they're gaining freedoms. They're learning who they are. And I couldn't say this more, that in that time where their identity is being formed, that's when they need their, their biblical and faith foundation built the strongest. So do you need to force God on them? No. Do you need to build a foundation of faith with them? Yes. So here's what I would say. We hide the truth when we don't prioritize faith. We hide the truth when we don't prioritize it, when it's not important until it is. You know what's interesting with those conversations as a student pastor I'd have with parents? At some point, do you know where the conversation started to go? It wasn't about their teenager's faith anymore. It was about the parent's faith. And again, with all the humility I could muster, I would begin to ask questions about their faith. When was the last time your teenager saw you downstairs at the table reading this with it open? When was the last time your teenager saw you and your spouse hand in hand on your knees praying together? When was the last time your student, your teenager, saw you sacrifice because God was calling you to something that was going to require more trust and dependence? When was the last time that you said no to something because church was more important? And all of a sudden, we started talking about their faith, not their teenager's faith. And I would say, if your teenager doesn't see your faith being real to you, there's no way it's going to become real to them. You can't tell them to have a faith. You show them yours. You pri prioritize your faith and you give them a foundation to build their own faith. And if we're not careful, we hide the truth by not prioritizing it. We're not off the hook because you know teenagers eventually grow up and they become adults, right? So at some point, parents, regardless of your age of kids, they will become adults. And one of the worst things we could do is say, well, they're, they're adults, it's their own life, like I don't have any part of that anymore. No. Do they have their own lives? Yes. Are they gonna make their own choices? Of course. But parents are always gonna be parents. And we always have the opportunity to influence with our words, to show love the way Jesus showed love through our actions. And we always have space to do that in an appropriate way, time and place.
So I would say this, parents of, of empty nesters and parents where you, your kids are all grown up, be careful. Because I would say we hide the truth when we give up. Well, I've done my best. I did everything I could. They're on their own. It's all up to them now. Yes and no. You can continue to be that parent on the side that continues to speak truth to them. So that's what it looks like to not hide the truth from our children. Let me read this real fast and we'll move on. Deuteronomy chapter 11 speaks to the importance of what we just went through. And I told you we were going to sit on that for a while. Verse 18 out of Deuteronomy 11. Listen to this. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give you and your ancestors. Do you hear the, the all-inclusive language there? It's all the time. We talk about the truths of God when we're going to bed and we talk about them when we get up and when we're at the dinner table and when we're in the car and when we're on our way to school and then we're picking them up in car line, when we're on our way to sports and even after sports, regardless of whether we win or lose, like we're talking about this all the time. It's not for 30 minutes on a Sunday. We do this all the time because we cannot hide the truths from our children and we must tell the next generation. Next part of this, verse five. For he issued his laws to Jacob he gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. What's interesting here is the psalmist is not just saying, so Israel, nation of Israel, you've got the commands, do them and make sure your children do them. No, no, he's giving a history lesson of what that actually looked like in context. So if you go back in the history of Israel, God chose the nation of Israel to be his people. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. He says, I'm gonna give you this, these commands. This is how you are called to live. Here's how we can have a relationship with one another. Here's how you're called to have a relationship with each other. And the nation of Israel was the only one that knew God like that. So imagine this, the nation of Israel is the only one holding the truth of God, surrounded by all the other nations that are pagan and not God-fearing. So God is basically saying, and what the psalmist is reminding us of is understand your importance. You know the truths of God. Tell your children, but make sure the whole world knows. This is basically this little light of mine. Sing it with me. You sound just as good as I do. That's what verse five and six is. We've been given the truth of God. Now we need that light to shine for all the people around us that are living in darkness. Jesus says something very similar. His words, Matthew chapter five, probably familiar with this. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand, meaning high up, where it gives light to everyone in the house. And keep reading, so that people praise God, so that people worship God, so that people give their attention and focus and ultimately their hearts to God. So if you're a believer, and you have the truth of God. We don't just tell our children, it's not just about our family. We shine bright for all to see. Just like the nation of Israel, they shine bright for all nations to see. May our lives be the same way as we worship God, yes, through learning, but through all the other ways we've seen in the Psalms, so that other people would come to know him. I love the legacy language here. Like notice this is, this is a big legacy. So the next generation might know them, 
even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. And that's the legacy we want, right? It's not just, I know the truth. It's not just, I know the truth and my kids know the truth. It's, no, I want them to teach their kids and their kids to teach their kids and, and to be a light in their schools and out in the community. Wherever they go, I want, I want them to teach the truths of God. I said it before, like, I'm thrilled that we're almost done with construction. We've been in construction mode for about 10 months now. And you guys have been gracious. You've been patient. You've man, been very giving and generous and sacrificial. I mean, it's been incredible. But please make no mistake. We are not excited for walls and carpet. We're not. We are excited to see the legs. We're excited to see what happens when, when your kids and your students are hearing the truths of God, which they are doing that right now just as you are. It's not babysitting back there, I promise. They're hearing the truths of God, and then you're going to reinforce that at home as you disciple your own kids, and then they're going to do that with their kids and their kids. And our prayer is that this becomes a place that has a legacy of the good news being preached for all generations, not just the ones that are here today. And could we have that kind of legacy? Could we have that kind of impact? I said it earlier, though. It's not just about parents. We all are responsible for teaching and telling the next generation about the truth. Regardless of what your family dynamic is, parent, not parent, whatever, it's on all of our plates. It's a responsibility we all have. Last section here, verse seven and eight, and we'll stop. Verse seven, so each generation, this is the goal, by the way. We do all of that so that this happens. So each generation should, should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. So that everything that we teach our children, the truths of God, it would, it would remind them of the hope that they have that's only found in Jesus. And that they remember all that he's done. Not just remember the Bible stories, but they remember what Jesus did on the cross. They remember how we have been saved, that he took our place where the wages of sin was death and he took our spot and that we would obey his commands. Again, obeying his commands is not because God said so. It's because we're this light in a world that's dark. And as we obey his commands, people notice. They begin to ask questions and we have an opportunity to share the truth. But then verse eight, I love that the psalmist included verse eight. He could have stopped at verse seven for this section, but he added verse eight, because here's the flip side. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Here's why I love verse eight. We've been talking a lot. I even shared some of my favorite Bible stories because my parents shared them with me. I mean, I was very, very thankful in the home that I grew up in. And I fully recognize that might not be your story. But verse eight proves that you can be a cycle breaker. Just because your ancestors were stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God, we still have an opportunity to come into the grace of Jesus. So, I mean, don't let your past define you. Don't look at how you were raised, be an excuse. And as you continue to take on that healthy burden of telling the next generation about the truths of God, and don't look at their past and disqualify them. May we all look ahead and say, no, we all have the opportunity to know Jesus in a real and meaningful way, to have a relationship with him that's based on his grace. No, we cannot force this on anybody. All right, I said that earlier. It's not our job to make people believe this. You and I have the responsibility to tell them the truth, to tell them about Jesus, to tell them of his wonderful deeds, 
his glorious miracles, as we said here, his power and his mighty wonders to tell them and show them who our God truly is. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. It solidifies the importance of what we just read through. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Paul writes this. And listen to his language, this kind of back and forth language here. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Do you hear that? So I'm going to pass on to you what I've received. And what I've received and am now giving to you is the most important thing you could possibly imagine or possibly think of. I can't think of anything else that I've received that is more important to give you than this right here. So I pass on to you what has been passed on to me, and this is most important. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. That's the most important thing. Parents, that's the most important thing. Teachers, it's the most important thing. Volunteers, it's the most important thing. Grandparents, it's the most important thing. Kids, it's the most important thing. Teens, it's the most important thing. Church, that is the most important thing. What we have received, what's been passed on to us, it's the most important thing that we could pass on to others. Maybe for some of you, that's a truth you're still wrestling with. You've not fully received it. You're still questioning. You're still trying to figure it out. Great questions. Keep asking. Your doubts do not show a lack of faith. If anything, your doubts can push you towards a stronger faith. Keep asking. Keep leaning in. Don't settle for because God said so. Dig in. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, and you will find a relationship with Jesus. And let us help. It's one of the reasons we meet every week. If you do believe that to be true, that that is the most important thing, the gospel of Jesus, that he died for you and for me, that he went to the cross, took my sins, took your sins, and took them as far as the east is from the west, and gave us hope and life because of his grace, oh, don't let that end with you. Don't let that end with you. You and I have a responsibility to tell the next generation about the wonderful things of our God. May we be that light in the darkest of places. When you walked in today, you should have gotten communion. If not, if you'll just raise your hand, we got our team, they're gonna walk around, they'll make sure you get it. Just be patient with them. We're gonna take communion today because of the importance of remembering. Time and time again, we read this out of Psalm 78. In fact, if you keep reading in Psalm 78, the rest of the Psalm is just remembering what God did, remembering what God's people did and then pointing out when they forgot. So church, may we never forget what God did through his one and only son, Jesus. May we never forget the love of God. His unfailing love is better than life itself because he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you and for me so that we can be given the hope of eternity and life that starts today. Communion is a time for us to remember. Jesus even tells us to do so. When you take this, remember me. The cracker represents Jesus' body that was broken for you and for me. And we remember his sacrifice. The grape juice represents Jesus' blood that was shed for you and for me. We remember his sacrifice. I'm gonna give you one other encouragement. Take it or leave it. It's not a have to. Um, yes, it's probably gonna be a little awkward if you've never done this before. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna let you take communion. If you're with your kids today, would you take communion with your kids? 
Like what we just read, man, start living that out. Like you're next to them already. Whisper, talk. You're not going to bother anybody. But just briefly say, I'm thankful for what Jesus did on the cross with me, for me. If you're with spouse, you and your spouse, and what if you held hands in, in this moment and you took communion together? Friends, huddle up. What does it look like to take communion as a community, as we remember together? You don't have to do it. Again, no judgment either way. But maybe that's a way to start living out the worship of learning and remembering that we read in Psalm 78. Let me pray and we'll take communion. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have done, your wonderful and glorious and amazing deeds, your mighty power. God, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Thank you for taking our sins away. Thank you for being our savior. We cannot save ourselves. No amount of goodness could ever get us in a relationship with you. We cannot earn it and we most certainly don't deserve it. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you for this healthy burden to take the truth that we have been given and to share it with those that need it. As we reflect and remember on you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you burn inside of us that light that needs to be shared, a light that needs to be shown to the dark world around us. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we confess that your love is better than life itself. Thank you for giving your life for me. In Jesus' name, amen. In your own time, with your family if you choose, take communion and then we'll sing together.